We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we produce this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land, and we believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation and respect. Hi, I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome Welcome to the Intersection. Intersection. In today's episode, Paul and I chat about the four steps to influencing change within your organization. It's not always easy, but building alliances internally can make all the difference in your ability to be successful in your current role. What do you want to talk about today? Well, influencing change is a a really big thing that a lot of our peers are struggling with. I'm struggling with it too. And uh, something that you have worked on quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to learning a bit more today, but also sharing uh, some of the struggles that I hope we can have our listeners resonate with and maybe share with us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, we, as always, we hope this conversation continues over and spills into other platforms and people are able to share their thoughts and opinions. What, what is your struggle with change right now? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's no secret how passionate I am about uh, about gift planning, about this strategy of giving, about the tension between the, the planning elements, the product elements, the money conversations, and the beautiful concept of human legacy. That's what I'm, that's the gravity I'm striving towards. And for years, I'm 20 years in this game. Everybody's getting tripped up by the tactics and the physicality and the back and forth referrals and the math. Good Lord, the math, how much it paralyzes people. And we're just trying to do something beautiful. And it's it's a struggle because there's so much in the way of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done a little bit of work on this and as I've mentioned in other episodes, one of the, the most satisfying work for me is helping organizations improve their results by changing their culture. And when folks come to me with one problem, usually the answer to that problem is to deal with another problem first, right? And I, I figured this out when I was a director of fundraising in an organization, and they brought me in to fire people up, not fire people literally, although I did do some of that, but um, to, to change, just to make things a little bit more hot and invigorated. And so I approached those first six months in that organization like a bull in a china shop. They hired me. I was supposed to be the solution to all of their problems. I you know, puffed myself up and went in like a bulldozer. And but I, I, can, I can hear people out there reacting to this. Yeah. So many of us as fundraisers get brought in like that. Yeah. And guess what? They, they couldn't stand me. I had a tense relationship with my boss. And we're going to talk about that in another conversation. Um, I didn't have alignment with staff. Program staff didn't want to talk to me. And it, it took me a while to figure out, and I stayed with this organization for quite a long time, but at the beginning, I did not think that I would. Wow. And 
And I figured out that we need to, I think fundraisers benefit from approaching their um, role within an organization more from a position of service and humility than I think that there is more power in their ability to influence change when they stop and take the temperature of the room, so to speak, right? Let's let's say that again, because again, we really have so many people that we both know have learned this the hard way, as of we. Again, I was I was 19 mm -hmm. and somebody made the mistake of giving me the title of director of plan giving and the staff revolted. At they 19? Did, did, At 19? It was, I had just started. I was their first full-time fundraiser. And of course they introduced me to the staff as, sorry, everybody, we've had to hire one of these people. And I was like, mm, first person of color on staff, maybe don't use the word these people. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Literally yeah. they set me up in such a way that the people who had been there for 30 plus years literally revolted and they called a meeting. The management showed up and was like, who called this meeting? And the frontline fundraising or the frontline administration staff of fundraising said, who is this whippersnapper who knows nothing? Yeah, it's you awful know? to feel like a pariah, right? It was, it was really tough. And I'm very glad that I found a fundraising community who again, quickly got me and helped me to change again. I, I really believe in this concept of gravity. What's pulling you where? Yeah. And once you flip it from, you know, leadership to service mm -hmm. and, you know, we're going to have another conversation about donor centricity and, and who you're serving and why, mm -hmm. but that changed the game. So, so that's that, what I wanted to yeah. ask you. Again. So how did you, how did you make that change? Because it's a hard change right. to make internally. Well, I, so I, I eventually I came up with, I came up with a, a four, step process to influencing change within the organization. Mm -hmm. It will not work if your executive director is not your champion. Mm -hmm. So whoever your boss is needs to have your back. And that is the, the, fun, the most fundamentally important relationship within an organization is between you and your boss. Mm -hmm. And so we first need to start by telling a story to get that person on side, to get the people who we need the most. Sometimes it's the receptionist, you know, but find your group of champions who believe in your vision. So tell a story around your vision. Uh, something that's like, mm -hmm, step that's, one. All yeah. right. Uh, so, so by saying, I've heard other organizations who have experienced this remarkable thing and guess what it only, you know, come up with your story of how to solve the problem and how it's worked for other people. And then ask them, would you be willing to help me do that here? And finding your, you can't do this alone, right? We are stronger yes. together. So finding your champion and starting to seek understanding through a compelling story. One example of that was when I was with another organization and I, it was a, a big lake in Ontario and I sat down with the director of science and I was building a case for support. And I said, what, what do you think we need to raise money for around here? And he, he just said, Kimberly, I am a microbiologist working with the largest Lake Ontario and I don't actually own a boat. If you could get me a boat, I would be so grateful. <laughs> and a weird conversation. 
oh no, all I had to do was go find this guy a boat, which we did. And he was my biggest champion in that organization, right? So, so, so right there, yeah. there's a massive thing here to be about between program and fundraising. Yeah about why we need to talk and talk more. It's not about just about needs too. He also gave you the path to the solution and to help him become your champion. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So if we approach our position as walking in every day, thinking, not thinking, and I know there are some great people who do this, but this might create a bit of a shift for somebody who's listening and needs to hear it right now. To just walk in and think to yourself, how can I be of service to the folks who work here? How can I make their job easier? And when we start a position asking that question, then we can break down barriers and silos within the organization and start creating a, a more cohesive team. So first of all, we've found, found our champions. Then we're telling a story and seeking understanding. Then we need to ask ourselves, are the skills are the are the structures in place to help impact the change that I'm trying to make here. For example, another example would be in one organization, um, it happens all the time, but someone will call and say, I'd like to make a donation and they'll say, oh, I'm not the fundraising department. So let me transfer you to the receptionist who then transfers them to somebody else to because oh, yeah. they think they need to only talk to the director of development about fundraising. I call it fundraising plinko. <laughs> That's brilliant. It happens every holiday season. Right. Right. And actually what happens, someone will email and then a chain reaction. All the out of offices bounce off each other. I'm not here to talk to Judy. Judy's not here to talk to Doug. Doug's not here to talk to Terry. Terry's not here to talk to Mary. Mary's on mat leave. Right. You so, ought to look. Here we are. How do we create the, you know, what do we need to teach people and what structures need to be in place for them to understand that a, this is a problem that we are all empowered to solve. And all you need is a simple little pledge form in your desk. So in a staff meeting say, hey, not great customer service for folks to have to be bounced around. And if the two, three, four fundraisers who aren't in the office that day, uh, and you happen to get a phone call from someone who wants to make a donation, this is what you do. Put and do some those solutions always come from the fundraiser? I believe that we are the agents of change. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot yeah. of great people who who uh, involve and engage their team saying, this is what we're trying to do. Here yeah. are some of the problems we have. Mm -hmm. And then administrative teams, and actually one of the super powered peers, I think we don't engage enough, are folks in finance. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, that, that director of finance is um, also the person to get on your team. So you that, just say hi to your kid. Is that your yeah. kid? Correct. <laughs> trouble. They're always rolling around the floor trying to kill each other. So that's. Oh, just... well, you know, yeah. Dad's a Paul. Paul's a dad first. People mm -hmm. may not realize that. And that's mm -hmm. what happens. Right. Yeah. So, yes, it that won't work if you don't have internal support. If you don't have a director of finance or a direct executive director or a receptionist, yeah, figure out what that Ooh. power dynamic is and get front your desk. allies. Front desk. Yeah, front there desk. You got to keep Massive. those people happy. And again, it's approaching the problem with a sense of curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me why it looks like you really don't enjoy your job. 
And guess what her answer was? I hate having to buy the milk for the office. I don't drink the milk. I have to haul it all the way in from on my commute. It's too expensive to buy downtown. People are always nagging me when it's run out and I never see whether it's run out. All I had to do to improve her performance was to be curious about what the problem was and to solve the milk issue. Um, so that's again, the seeking understanding part. So we have build alliances through storytelling, mm -hmm. seek understanding, with folks to find out what is their perspective and provide the systems and the tools and the training that are needed. Is so for, three? those are three. So yeah. The, yeah, 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 yeah. It says the, 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 the structure and clear processes. Oh. And the um, fourth one is reinforcement, you know? Mm. So if we're working with a board of directors and we wanna get folks fundraising, it is far more effective to thank the person who helped you in the meeting than to point fingers at the people who didn't. Yeah. Right? You know, so, I'm, a, I'm a student of a methodology called solution focus. Hmm. It talks hmm. about how organizations need to get out of focusing on just the problem and individuals need to stop obsessing about who's to blame. Yeah, we call it finding the yes. Mm. Where's the yes? And there can be a paradox, right? It's yes. okay. It's okay for, okay, here's a classic. The, the tension between the fundraising department and the communications department, mm -hmm. which is a massive issue that needs oh, to be boy. wrestled down all over the place. So, yeah. so it's okay for communications to have their brand guidelines mm -hmm. and to say, as an organization, this is our, ident our identity and our collateral, and we need to stay on brand. We know that that is that that's true, and we also know that fundraisers are um, an important part of fundraising is to be able to surprise and delight your donors with something different every once in a while. That is also true. It's okay for there to be a paradox and to say, you know what, we're both right. And healthy tension, healthy tension. Yeah, here, here is, here's maybe a solution for now. Let's try it. Um, but I, I'm an absolute, absolute believer in the fact that tension and friction is essential for progress. Hmm. How we, how we work with that tension is uh, what sets apart the truly exceptional fundraisers who are leaders in their organization. Say the four again for me, because you know what, that I think that is what is truly, a, you know, when you say healthy tension, I think these four really build to say, how do we make that productive? How do we make that actually a reality for anybody who's got a job to do? It's a simple path. I'll put the PDF yeah. in the show notes. Cool. Um, first of all, build your alliances yeah. and and do that through seeking understanding and storytelling. So compelling storytelling. Two, are the skills required for this change? Do they exist or do we need to do some training? Three, do we have the systems and the structures in place to impact this change? And four, reinforce positive actions within your organization. There we it go. sounds so simple, 
But when we are caught up, when we are in a 12-month budget cycle, when we are grossly misunderstood as a profession, it is so hard to implement. And I think there's this fallacy out there that people think that harmony is a requirement. Right. Yeah. Look, we're trying to make change over here. We're trying to do some dramatic things. Some of us as charities, we're saving lives. We're, you know, and it's, it's there's going to be, and I believe in that healthy tension. Yeah. Although again, I think there's got to be a respect. I just think a lot of us, we don't see from the other person's perspective, right? Again, communications and marketing is trying to tell a much bigger story than just fundraising. We get it. Mm -hmm. Finance is dealing with so much ludicrous compliance and audit and the realities of budgets. We get it. Mm -hmm. And leadership is dealing with more than just some of the fundraising pieces. But, you know, they 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 have a, they are also often fighting. I think a lot of fundraisers don't realize how much EDs and leaders are trying to protect them from the board, mm -hmm. from external wackos who are saying, you know, this is the trend and you got to do that. You know, I think if we spend time with each other, that's what you were talking about, the storytelling, the strategy piece. So, you know, so I've heard EDs and, and big shop teams all often say, what is wrong with these fundraisers? Mm -hmm. Why are they walking around so much? Why are they talking to everybody? Why can't they just sit at their desk and do their job? Mm -hmm. And this is a contact sport, my friend. Mm -hmm. You know, again, one of the, I had a great mentor of mine when I started saying, what should I do as a professional fundraiser? And he, this dude grabbed me. And he, and he said, listen, get out from behind that desk. Because if you're just trying to drive from a desk, what are we trying to do here? It, Not just donor so contact, hard, right? but the strategy, the storytelling, the yeah. getting people on side. Well, know, to it, create alliances within an organization, people need to see, people need to perceive that, that you're working. And mm -hmm. because fundraising is so misunderstood, if you're never in the office, they're not going to see that you're working. Or and if they always see you doing what they consider to be the gla the glamorous stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. mid-career. I had a whole bunch yeah. of front desk team. Oh, must be nice to go to all these dinners and things. And I was like, listen, if I eat more smoked salmon, I'm going to get gout. <laughs> you know, I don't want it. And I got a young family. I don't want to be doing all these things. I don't even like parties. Again, most people who know me know I'm, a, I'm an ambivert and that I resent both sides, the unnecessary <laughs> madness of special events and the isolation of the prospect research and the real methodology of working the funnel as a fundraiser. That yeah. takes diligence and it's it can be lonely. You know that I believe it's an incredibly lonely job. And that is why when we approach it from this position of service and compassion and walk into our office, asking ourselves, how can we improve everybody else's day today? Then we create alliances, then we become part of the team, then we're able to ask for some of these small things like, could you please take a donation when donors call instead of forwarding the call? Um, Tell me one of your secrets, Kimberly, what is one of the ways that you really, it's a little bit of a thing of yours that you do this, that you've done it time and time again, that has produced results for you. I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. Oh, so I'll give you an example. One of my personal Paul Nazareth secrets, and I'm dropping it now, and everybody's every work with me be like, oh man, <laughs> which is I insist on eating lunch in the lunch room, whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. I would rather eat lunch at my desk or even go out and have lunch with other people. Mm -hmm. But when I was in my biggest shops, I made sure to socialize in a human way and spend time with people so they could actually say to me, must be nice to go to all the events. And while I'm eating my bologna sandwich to say, no, man, this is what it's really about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that was yeah, the yeah. way to socialize and humanize myself as a fundraiser. You know, that's a brilliant brilliant um share thank you because 
if Work we upon the greatest if, book on networking in Canadian history, uh, that's where it came from. Uh, but talked about how to how to socialize within an organization. It's, it's so true. Okay, so as change agents within our organization, when we look at who do we need to influence for this organization to be successful, we have to start with those folks within the organization. So if we think of them as donors, if we think of them as people who we want to build strong uh, relationships with, then that, I mean, that's what we should be doing for the first six weeks of our job, right? And again, Maybe that's a bold this. statement, you got to juggle it, but showing yeah. up in the lunchroom is, um, is a good again, for me a fundraiser right because again yeah. you've had many roles as an executive director i'll tell you it's one of the reasons i'm scared of leadership is because there's a lot of pressure on the leader i watch my own kind of current ceo having to make time to do that socialization and again i really respect when leaders work with their team to not just figure out the story but craft the story together so that we're all singing from the same song sheet that's so powerful the consistency to hear it from the leadership from the fundraiser from the volunteers yeah. from the board yeah but that takes practice no choir harmonizes with no practice that's true you got to yeah. tell them remind them and then tell them again yeah and i mean that's especially true when working with boards but you're absolutely right in an executive director role that is a very lonely role and um and i have worked with executive directors as a coach where they just need someone they can talk to and be human with. But I think that's changing. That's the authenticity part. That's one of mm -hmm. these great things of this global pandemic is that, you know, we just saw your kids, we heard them mm -hmm. running around and, and I have to take a screenshot of that face that you made. Well, it's, it's, it's wait it's, until you it's see it. It's thing I've realized that exhaustion has pushed us into permission. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it before because I was always armored up and from energy, I created that armor, but the energy's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm almost dead. So it's Paul Nazareth in the raw, <laughs> you know, and, but that permission has created great connection. And again, those, all those EDs who are lonely have reached out. Yeah. I've seen them showing up on Clubhouse, on Instagram, on Twitter for the first time ever. I'm excited as all hell because they're showing up and they're ready to talk. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. It's an exciting time because the conversations are going deeper than ever. So I hope that folks have um, enjoyed listening to this. And if they would like to continue the conversation or they have something to say, they can go to the intersection, intersectionhub.ca or find us on Twitter and or the Facebook group. So here we go. All right. Thanks. We'll see you all out there. Yeah. Thanks a lot, ma'am. Thank you. Okay, so shameless plug, helping charities and fundraisers with this kind of thing is exactly what I do when I'm not recording this podcast. So if you would like to chat a little bit more about your unique situation, please do reach out. You can book a meeting with me directly on our website at intersectionhub.ca forward slash engage. Looking forward to hearing from you. And thanks for making time today. See you next time.